What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, the big analytic who is in the market to buy a brand new house and thinks that Derek Rowe should be in the All-Star Game over Damian Lillard co-host Andrew D. Bailey. I'm out of breath from that intro for some reason. Before we finish up our the second half of our Eastern Conference midseason report cards and um, talk about some other stuff too, like Victor Oladipo's injury we got to talk about. I'm sure Andy has some thoughts about how the All-Star Game starters or voting shook out. I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Throw us that five-star rating. Write a review. If you haven't subscribed, please do that already. If you have subscribed, maybe recommend us to someone else who likes basketball and not-so-great slash also-incredibly-awesome basketball takes. Um, With that out of the way, though, I have to ask, Andy, because the people need to know. They demand to know. They cannot live without knowing. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I feel like I need to fact-check your entire intro though. <laughs> um, no, I do not want Derek Rose over Damian Lillard in the all-star game. I don't know why I get so worked up about this stuff, but it just drives me insane. Um, how often stuff like this is just flat out. Wrong. Damian Lillard has been like the 10th or 12th best player in the league this year. Consistently all season. Yeah. And Derek Rose has been, you know, it's kind of a cool comeback story that he's, he's back on track offensively, but um <laughs> Overall, impact-wise, it's not even close between Lillard and Rose. Um, they're, they're just—it's players seem to latch on to certain guys who had two or three good years, um, scored a ton of points. It's like everybody still believes in Carmelo Anthony too. It's—it's it's just really interesting to me. Um, Did and you no, think everyone still believes in Carmelo Anthony. It seems like players do. Oh, okay, players. All right, maybe that's better. Yeah. Um, And as for a brand new house, believe it or not, lawyers don't make, like, any money for five or six years. So (laughs) our market for houses is very, very used. (laughs) What is – it's new to you, though. That's true, yeah. What's the point of becoming a lawyer, then? Spend all this money on law school, and then law school is supposed to be hard – and then you're in debt, and you're just saying you don't make any money right out of the gate. My Believe family you. really wanted me to go to law school, and they probably still think I'm a failure for turning into a writer. But I'm just—I fail to see the upside of this. You need to sell me on it. Believe me, there are there are lots of young lawyers who ask themselves that same question, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the upside is, depending on where you work, if, once you become a partner, you really are just sort of your own boss. Um, 
you can work as much as you want, take as many cases as you want. Uh, and I'm lucky enough to work for a firm where in a lot of ways I'm kind of already my own boss, but, um, you know, just got to kind of bide my time until I'm a partner. In, in some law firms, like if you go and work in a big city law firm in New York or something, you could toil away as an associate for a long time. So that's. I know that because I watch suits. <laughs> I can't really sell you on those, uh, those big city lawyers. So just move to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Small town laws where it's at. Yeah, where I have to take screenshots of crime maps, apparently. <laughs> Keep telling me it's a great place to live, and then I hear you taking these crime shot screenshots in the background. I don't know. I, I, I'm a sucker for crime maps everywhere I've lived. Well, that's interesting. That's some serious <laughs> adulting. <laughs> yeah. This um, is the kind of stuff you look at when you have two children. That's also fair. I do not have two children, <laughs> and, and the world should probably thank themselves for that. <laughs> um, so... We have plenty of stuff to talk about. I think the biggest thing that's happened since we recorded the first part of the Eastern Conference grades, and almost kind of, not that it sucks that we did the Indiana Pacers already because Victor Oladipo's injury wouldn't change their grade, but we could have just talked about what, just got a little bit more in depth on it at the time. But with Oladipo out after rupturing the quad tendon in his right knee, or as Shams tweeted, raptured the quad tendon <laughs> in his right knee, the greatest typo, one of the greatest typos yeah. in history. What is what is Indiana's play now without him? And the one thing I'll say is they they beat the Raptors uh, in a game that he got injured after he left, and then they're also seven and four overall on the season without him, and they're outscoring opponents by five point three points per hundred possessions when he's off the floor for cleaning the glass. Yeah, I guess um, I, I was on a podcast for. Um, the Grizzlies SB Nation blog last night, and he talked about does this make the Pacers want Mike Conley more or less? Um, and he thought the the host of that show, Joe Mullinax, thought that Indiana should become sellers all of a sudden. Uh, I don't I don't think I'm there. I the numbers that you just cited I think are are fairly compelling evidence that they should just press on. If you're if you're you know where they are in the East right now, which is third um, with almost with over twice as many wins as losses. I don't really know what selling gets you at this point. Um, right. Here's the, would be my like rebuke to that right now. They could lose 17 straight games. They could lose 20 straight games and they would still be the eight seed in the Eastern conference. Yeah. Um, and they're, <laughs> Like you said, they've been pretty good without Oladipo on the floor this year. Their their roster um, is very balanced. I think we talked about this when we talked about their grade in the last episode, but they have a bunch of scoring. Um, now, you're probably going to want someone who can replace the 19 points and, and 16 shots that Victor Oladipo gets a game. So maybe maybe that makes them even more of a buyer for someone like Darren Collison or not Darren Collison, um, Mike Conley, they don't play the same position, obviously. Um, so they being in the market for a wing would make some sense, but the market for wings is just kind of sparse and it has been for a couple years. Um, I don't really know what they do other than just press on. I, I think they can continue with the group that they've got and, still fight for home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. I think we're deep enough into the season and we've seen enough from this supporting cast to, I think, 
suggest that they should just sort of press forward. I mean, it's awful to lose your your sort of franchise cornerstone and your leading scorer. Um, but this is a really well constructed roster that's that's got a lot of balance and it's got a lot of talent and depth. Yeah, the I, I don't know that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I agree with you on every front there. The idea that they should become sellers is just there doesn't seem to be any value in it for them uh, unless they're just looking at it as, as, well, we weren't going to keep these guys anyway, and now that we know that we're not going to make a deep playoff push because we're never going to have the best player in in a series, and they probably were never going to have a best player in the series to begin with. Uh, Oladipo is probably hovering around that, like, top 25, top 30 range this season. Yeah. So, so, and and they want to recoup, like, if they can get, like, picks for these guys, but most of them are on expiring contracts. I would argue that I guess this is a hedge that they probably just fall somewhere in the middle. I don't think they should ramp up their efforts to to make a big move uh, by combining some of their expiring contracts, then maybe a pick uh, or something. At the same time, I would think that uh, it's almost they're almost still in the same spot where if you can move um, and turn Tyreek Evans, Darren Collison, or Corey Joseph into just some extra shot creating. At, mm-hmm. at this point that you do it. I will say that at this point, if he wasn't already, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic is probably untouchable for them. Yeah. He's so. having a, uh, I mean, he's he's been a solid shooter, floor spacer for years now, but um, he's averaging 16 points and shooting almost 44% from three this year. I For the first couple of weeks, I thought this is a start that's just not sustainable. And he has cooled off a little bit since the start because I think for a while he was over 50%. But to maintain these numbers now more than halfway through the season is uh, really impressive. So I, I'm with you. I don't, I, you can't – he's a tough one to move unless you are getting some firepower back because then, you know, all of a sudden you're down your top two leading scorers if you move him. Yeah, and I'm like – I'm interested to see where they end up in the Eastern Conference overall. Now, because they're they're going to make the playoffs. That's just a fact. Uh, mm-hmm. They they're in third place as we're talking about this. They're a game in front of the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, two and a half games in front of the five seed Boston Celtics. And when you sort of look at the East, I don't. How do they fall past fifth? Uh, the uh, Nets are good, but that seven game gap over less than half a season is really hard to make up. And if the if the Pacers play five hundred basketball the rest of the way. There's a chance that they still might host a first round playoff series. Yeah. You know it would be nice for them if if they suddenly just got last season's Tyreek Evans that would that would cure a lot of ills, I think. That that's and that was sort of the thing I was thinking about like maybe Tyreek Evans is just all of a sudden good on a yeah, consistent it, basis for them. It doesn't make sense uh for his talent to have dropped off this significantly in one year from age 28 to 29. Last season, he had a 3.6 box plus minus, which is really solid. And this year, he's minus 2.7, which is worse than replacement level. Um, even if he can like split the difference between those two for the rest of the season, Indiana will be fine. I, I could still, like you said, I could see them finishing top four. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, my floor for them at this point would be uh, fifth. I just don't know who... I, you know, you look at the Nets, the Hornets, and the Heat. That, that gap is just so huge, and one of them would have to go on quite a tear while Indy just absolutely flops. And if and if Indy flops, they don't even have time to sell because they're not necessarily going to know about said flop until after the trade deadline passes. Yeah. 
all those teams you just named, it would be really hard to see any of them finishing more than a couple games over 500. And uh, maybe if Indy plays above 500 basketball without Oladipo, that, that'll be – I don't even know what the word will be because you'll look at them and go, wow, but at the same time, you can't necessarily keep this nucleus together because it's not that contender. As we just said, they're ne- they're right now they're probably never going to have the best player in a postseason series unless they finish high enough in the East where you're matching up with the Nets or so- or something like or the uh, the Heat at this point. So it, it would almost complicate their future if they play really well without Victor Oladipo because then how do you even think about making substantive changes over the off season when? Basically, your entire roster, with the exception of Sabonis, McDermott, Turner, and Oladipo, and Holiday, are just and cheaper guys are just in free agency. They yeah. they were always just going to have a a like a, some tough decisions to make. And this could, if they play well without him, I'm saying, could actually make it even harder. All I can say is you're going to regret some of those takes when Demonis Sabonis is hoisting his NBA Finals MVP. Yeah, they honestly they should trade Victor Oladipo before the trade deadline. That's what they should do. Um, but I guess the last, to wrap this up, do you think that they should, that Mike Conley now makes more sense for them with, uh, without Victor Oladipo or, or does a move like that make less sense? Um, it's interesting cause this, that was pretty much the same question that was posed to me last night and I, I just kind of had to hedge and I think I still do. I, I honestly don't really know. I don't think he makes a ton of sense because, uh, now point guard isn't as much of a need as it was two or three days ago. Um, you know, now, now they need a wing. I mean, you, you could try to get by playing Conley and Collison together, but, um, the lack of size there is just, that's, it's a real issue. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I think if I had to make a call right now, I just, I just kind of think they should press on. Um, and if you do make a trade, it's it's for something a little less splashy, but it's somebody who's who can defend on the wing. Um, and I, I just I don't know if Mike Conley improves your wing defense at all, as good as he is. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. Um, but it sucks about Old Depot. Hopefully, he's yeah, able to make a, this. This injury is terrible. Hopefully, he's able to make a a full recovery. We know he's a he's a hard worker. This is a tough injury to come back from, but it's he's like. That that story of him is going to live in lore, where he apparently I don't know how staged it was texted his trainer after losing to the Cavs in the playoffs yeah. last year. Yeah, that would force us to well, not force us. We're happy to do it. We're back to our <laughs> Eastern Conference report card grind. Uh, we had wrapped up the Pacers and just talked a little bit more about them. That brings us to the Miami Heat, whose grade I just changed. I gave them a little bit more of a flattering grade for a uh, grade for Bleacher Report. Um, but let's get to their vitals first. They are 22nd in offensive efficiency, 6th in defensive efficiency, and 19th in net rating per cleaning the glass. They are 22 and 24. Andy gave them a C uh, for his first quarter grade. I also gave them a C, and I'm sticking with a C now, as is Andy, just spoiling it there. I had given them a B for Bleach Report because things had, had picked up for them, and they looked like they were more of a threat, but they've... They've kind of fallen off since I did those a couple weeks back. It took them, even at the time when Justice Winslow, that move to point guard, it it really did galvanize them. But even then, their starting lineup was just not great. And it took Eric Spoelstra just a little bit too long 
uh, in my time to to make the change. He finally started uh, Tyler Johnson over Rodney Magruder uh, during their loss to the Clippers on Wednesday. We'll have to see if that really makes any of a difference. I just don't know what this what this team's ceiling is in a conference where I think they should probably be better off uh, than they are right now. And so, you know, their new starting lineup doesn't have a ton of experience together um, this season. Uh, in the minutes that they have played, though, uh, they are a plus 37.1 points per 100 possessions, but that's a sub-40 minute sample size. So, so that's interesting. My key stat for them, though, had to be just focused on Justice Winslow. Uh, since he's sort of become their they, their de facto point guard and was moved into the starting lineup for good in the middle of December, he is averaging 13.4 points, 5.2 rebounds, 4.9 assists, 1.2 steals, um, and slashing 45.7, 36.2, and 64.1 at the foul line, which is not great, but shooting 36.2% um, on 3.8 three-point attempts uh, is actually... That's good. That's good enough volume, and that percentage would actually be higher if not for we can't just cancel him out. But he's kind of struggled over his last two or three games shooting the ball, and the Heat's offense has just been lights out with him on the court during this time. They're scoring 111 points per 100 possessions when Justice Winslow is on the floor, compared to 101 without him. That ten, that ten point difference per 100 possessions is by far and away the largest on the team. Josh Richardson comes in second at 6.4 for this time span. I'm just not really sure what to make of the Miami Heat like for the rest of this season. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? I do. That might say more about my lack of belief in the Pistons or or Wizards though. The Justice Winslow at point guard thing is really cool to me. Um I remember thinking a year or two ago, didn't didn't the Pistons kind of dabble in this with Stanley Johnson? I don't I know he didn't start at point guard, but they made him like the lead playmaker off the bench a little bit. Uh maybe I'm misremembering that, but Yeah, they I'm, did. I am all in on uh bigger guys running the point, especially if they struggle to shoot because uh I can't remember who it was, but somebody wrote a, an article about Giannis a year or two ago and how his lack of three-point shooting doesn't hurt as bad when the ball is constantly in his hands because just just by virtue of the fact that you have the ball, you have a little bit of gravity. Um, and so I think that negates shooting woes for guys like Stanley Johnson and Justice Winslow. But as you pointed out, Winslow's even been shooting pretty well since he's made this switch. I mean, if he's <laughs> if he's consistently like a 15-5-5 and guy going forward with the defense that he brings on the other end, uh, he's a really, really valuable player, but <laughs> I mean, after that, it's it's kind of hard to find bright spots on this team. I'm looking at their uh, their contract situation over the <laughs> next. Don't do that. No, <laughs> Hassan Whiteside, twenty seven million dollar player option for next season. Tyler Johnson, nineteen million dollar player option for next season. Goran Dragic, nineteen million dollar player option for next season. James Johnson, $16 million player option for 2021. Uh, Kelly Olenek, $12 million player option for 2021. Deion Waiters, fully guaranteed through 2021. His is almost $13 million. Um, Josh Richardson is really the first solid value contract you get to 
on their books. I <laughs> there's a chance that I guess Winslow becomes one too. Yeah, and he's um I I, I would say he probably is. If he continues to play this way, I, I think you can throw him in that group. Thirteen million for your starting point guard is pretty good. And I, I think he's showing us that he can fill that role. Um and this isn't multi year grades, so I can't I mean I can't I can't <laughs> <laughs> F, F for their terrible outlook. Um, but yeah, I, I think people were worried when they signed all the deals that they had kind of locked themselves into mediocrity. Um, and it does seem like that's kind of what they did. Uh, the thing about a lot of the contracts they signed is they were guys who weren't really at like the start of their prime or uh, a couple years away from their prime. It was mostly guys that were either in it or towards the end. Um, and I remember had, arguing with you and I think Wes Goldberg um, from, I believe, Fansided and Locked on Heat that, about that James Johnson contract. Yeah, and I, I think injuries have hurt him a little bit, and I'll obviously always have a little bit of a soft spot for... Shooting 42.6% from three since Winslow was moved to point guard, by the way, is James three. Johnson. Um, and, I, and I still think he's he's certainly a better deal than what they're paying Whiteside or, or what they've got going on with waiters because he's versatile. He can play multiple positions. He's another guy. I think if you got creative positionally, he might be better. Um, you know, like they moved Winslow to point guard and it helped. And I think James Johnson can play some five um, and it would, un, it would unlock a lot of interesting things for the heat. Uh, but long story short, they just, they have a lot of guaranteed money on their books. That's going to, they're they're basically stuck with this team. Um, there's there's really no one that I named either that would be like a hot commodity if they were suddenly available on the trade market. I mean, could you imagine who would even want Hassan Whiteside at this point? We've talked about the Bucks like last year with him, but I think that's out. I mean, Brooke Lopez is obviously working out just fine yeah, there. Really, they're not going to want. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I just I, it's hard to find a destination for him or Tyler Johnson or even Dragic at this point. Um, they're just kind of stuck. Can you guess how many possessions James Johnson has played at center this year? Um, I'll say zero. One. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Don't you think that's a good idea, though? I would be interested to try it. I think didn't they try it sort or sort of? They, they, I mean, they tried it before, and I just feel like it's never really. Worked out. Last year, he played 149 possessions. Uh, their defensive rating during that time was 123.2, and they were a minus 5.7 overall. It's. I think it's. I think it's something you can absolutely try. Um, at six nine, though, he definitely does give up some size. He was at center. Uh, they they were when he played center in 2016 2017, plus 8.3 points per 100 possessions. The per the the. The defensive rating during that time, though, was still spotty at 111.2. It's still something worth trying, though. Mm -hmm. You put him yeah, at I, center with just all, I, I can't say all wings, because they don't really have that many. But I mean, you put him at center, and you have Winslow and Richardson on the court, and, and then maybe you use... Ellington. They don't even play him anymore. They need to trade him. And just, he, we, he, they need to trade him to Denver, is where they need to trade him. But uh, Ellington would be interested. That would be, that would make sense, functionally. But I guess you would use Tyler Johnson, and if you wanted to go really small, there's Rodney Magruder. I don't know. I, I, that lineup is just him at center makes sense, but they have so many bigs that it's almost disingenuous to do that. Yeah. 
That's true. That this that goes back to roster construction again. Yeah, I mean, if Goran Dragic was healthy, then it's you know go with Dragic, Johnson, Richardson, Winslow, and Tyler Johnson could be in there. Or again, you could put Roddy Magruder. Though to that point, what happens with Winslow in that scenario when you have Goran Dragic taking touches away from him? The other thing I really did want to say about the Heat, though, and I gave them some leeway with this when I was grading them for Bleacher Report. But their losing record at home really is a concern. Uh, they haven't had the easiest go at home, though. Um, these are their opponents that they've played in Miami since November 30th. The Pelicans, Jazz, Magic, Rockets, Bucks, Raptors, Cavs, Timberwolves, Wizards, Nuggets, Celtics, Grizzlies, and Clippers. Uh, they're 8-5 and five over those 13 games at home, which is an encouraging then. But to have a losing record... In Miami, I know they don't have the best home court advantage. That's just unacceptable overall. And maybe we'll see them perk up a little bit now that that mini road trip is over where they went uh, one and three on it. Uh, but still, they're just going to be a team to watch. I, th- I think they'll make the playoffs, but I, I don't really know what their their ceiling is. They certainly don't look like a team that could win a playoff round. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they got out of the first round. Um Especially this year, the the top half of the East is, I, I think, quite a bit stronger than it's been in years past. So, um, yeah, hard to imagine much beyond a first-round playoff berth. That brings us to the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, they are second in offense, fourth in defense, and first in net rating. They are 34-12. and 12. We each gave them an A-plus at the quarterway. Uh, I'm giving them an A-plus again. Uh, my my key stat, or it's actually going to be stats. It's kind of a waterfall of stats for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, understandably so. We've I think everybody has turned their attention to James Harden in the MVP conversation and just general NBA conversation because what he's been doing lately is just absurd. I've, I've truly never seen anything like what James Harden is doing. Um, but I think it's a little bit of a shame that it's it's got us to pay less attention to what Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing because his numbers all season long are just absurd. Um, He's averaging 26 and a half points, 12.6 rebounds and 5.9 assists, 1.4 blocks, 1.3 steals per game. Um, And he's only playing 33 minutes per 75 team possessions, uh, which adjusts for pace. And it's about three quarters worth of play. 28.1 28.1 points, 13.4 rebounds, 6.3 assists, one and a half blocks, and 1.4 steals. Um, no one in NBA history has matched his combination of assist percentage, rebound percentage, block percentage, and steal, perce- steal percentage. Um, if assist percentage is the only qualifier and you sort by rebounding percentage, he's number one. Uh, Kevin Garnett is close there. And then if you make Rebound percentage is the only qualifier, and you sort by assist percentage. Uh, Giannis is still number one, and Jokic is close there. Um, he's posting the 33rd best single-season box plus minus ever. That's at 9.66. And here is the list of players in NBA history who've had 10-plus box plus minus seasons. So we'll, we'll call this the double-digit box plus minus club. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, David Robinson, Stephen Curry, Chris Paul, and Dwayne Wade. Um, 
Wow. Giannis is, Giannis is knocking the door on that double-digit box plus minus club. Um, <laughs> if James Harden keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to win MVP, and, and I don't think anybody can complain about it. But this is – what Giannis is doing is historically incredible. Um, and it's it's no surprise that, you know, that level of production in the Eastern Conference has led to them being where they are. I mean, number one in net rating, they're just – they look really, really good. This is a team that I would not be surprised to see in the NBA Finals. No, I think it's – right now I think there's just a clear one and two favorites between them and Toronto. In yeah. The East. Dep- like it doesn't really matter how you order them at this point. I'm with everything you just said. I gave them an A because I already doled out my A+. Plus, uh, and I gave them an A plus last time. They – everything about them seems known. Uh, maybe the casual NBA fan isn't as privy to it. But just like the the revamped shot profile, Mike Buttonholes are getting more out of players in general. Uh, looking at the way he runs his rotations, um, how it matters who's on the floor without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Milwaukee's been able to survive those minutes. The center by committee that's working out. They've gotten quality time from DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown at different points. Uh, Chris Middleton went through a December slump, but he's back on track. I don't know that I've seen Eric Bledsoe ever defend this consistently. They're scary, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them in the NBA Finals either. I think it's even fair. I know we both picked the Raptors to come out of the East, and I would stick with that pick as of now, but I think it's perfectly fair to view them as the the clear-cut Eastern Conference favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I can't get over for them is the impact that Brook Lopez just has on their floor balance. He is having such a good season. I don't like to get too far ahead. I'm just almost concerned about are they going to be able to pay him? This summer, they're only going to have his non-bird rights. So you're looking at a, a mid-level exception money, which would be difficult to spend when you also have Brogdon, Middleton, and Bledsoe in free agency. And then h- how well is his next deal going to age, even if it's a two or, or three-year deal? That being said, he he has just been a monster for them. Even when his shots aren't falling, uh, his rim protection has been good in Milwaukee too. He is allowing opponents to shoot 49.5% at the rim, which is the third best mark among 134 players who have defended at least 100 shots at the basket. Uh, The only ones in front of him, your boy Derek Favors and your other boy, JaVale McGee. (laughs) Uh, And he is the boy. Yeah. uh, Lopez is also the first player, and he's about to become the first player since the season isn't over yet. Um, in NBA history, to average two blocks, more than two blocks, and more than two made three-pointers per 36 minutes. First player ever? First player ever, bar none. He's doing that per game, too. Yeah, I mean, his, he's making 3.3 three-pointers per 36 minutes, which is just absolutely ridiculous. He leads the team in three-point attempts per game, too. Um, yeah, his... <laughs> Did you see the ESPN story a couple weeks ago where they took they they shared pictures of the Bucks practice facility? I did. They had those huge boxes like ten feet beyond the three point line. Yes. Um, man, I just thought that was brilliant. And the Hawks, um, who added that four point line, um, I'm getting off on a tangent now, but I think <laughs> I heard Timberwolves actually give negative points if you make a long two in their scrimmages. Um, all Tom these Thibodeau definitely gave bonus points for those. That that had to be a recent thing in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Um, all these innovative practice things are 
awesome. And I just, I, I love the way that Mike Budenholzer has used Brooke Lopez. Um, that combination of threes and blocks is just, that's so cool to me. Um, and for a guy who's traditionally been like a 1990s style center to suddenly be shooting almost seven threes a game in fewer than 30 minutes a game is just, uh, it's brilliant to me the way that they've, um, the way that they play. And it makes so much sense when you have a guy like Giannis, there's no, there's no reason to have somebody posting up in the middle of the court. When you have Giannis, there's, you just crowd what he can do. Um, the other guy that I think needs a shout out before we move on from the bucks too is Malcolm Brogdon. He's quietly so, so good averaging almost 16 points. And here are his shooting numbers. They've tailed off a little bit. Um, and if if this is the result of tailing off, my goodness, 51.7% from the field, 42.2% from three, uh, an effective field goal percentage of almost 60, and a free throw percentage of 96. Um, when I watch the Bucks play, it's like everything he throws up, you just have a feeling it's going in. He's He's been ridiculously. And whenever you watch them and he's hitting like the 15-point mark, it just doesn't feel like it. It's all of a sudden just, oh, wow, Malcolm Brogdon has. And even when you look at their page and you see that he's averaging 16 points per game, it's, oh. oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's one of the quietest scorers in the league, I think. Um, how many teams have a better starting five than this? Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Lopez. The Warriors oh. and... You could probably make a case for the Raptors when they're at full strength, which is basically yeah. never. Yeah. There, I mean, it's it's they're certainly right up there in that conversation for number two because you know obviously you got to go with the Warriors number one, but um, this is this is a really really fun team for sure. We are now moving on to a more depressing team that is not so fun. <laughs> the New York Knicks are twenty sixth in offensive efficiency, 29th uh, in defensive efficiency, and they are ten and thirty six overall. The tank is strong with them. They've had bright moments this season. Uh, at the beginning of the year, it looked like they were going to be the perfect kind of bad, just sort of fun, but also not winning too much. They, that has not been the case for most of this season, uh, though their game the other day, I can't even remember who they were. Oh, the Rockets game. was. That's the type of game you like seeing from the Knicks. Uh, Kevin Knox has made strides as a scorer over the past few weeks, even though his shooting slashes during that time are still sort of wonky. You can tell me he's not shooting a zillion percent on floaters over the past month or so, but I won't believe you. <laughs> they look like they have guys who belong in the NBA and could stick. Alonzo Trier really doesn't like to pass, but he's he's this nice prober. Um, and, and just so, he looks so smooth when he's trying to score off the dribble. Uh, Damian Dotson works his ass off on the defensive end. Emmanuel Moutier, I was never really that high on, and he's kind of cooled off, but if he is being more aggressive with the ball in his hands and, and smarter in general. I will not leave Frank Nielakina Island. I know people said that they wanted to, I know, I don't know, that Knicks fans, excuse me, I shouldn't just throw people out there. Some of them thought that a Nielakina for Dennis Smith Jr. swap would just make a ton of sense. Uh, I am not among those people. I, I still believe um, the Knicks are starting to play him more. Uh, but they they've shown zero faith in, in him basically for, for the entire season. I don't know if it's because he was drafted during the Phil Jackson era, or if they really think that he's so broken on offense. I just think that he needs more consistency 
to really develop, and they haven't given him that on a long enough basis. I almost made this the key stat because of the whole Frank Nuakina stuff, but last year, in 729 possessions, Kristaps Porzingis and Frank Nuakina had a net rating of plus 5.1. I want to see that pairing again. Do not trade Frank Nuakina until next. I just, I want to see it. I don't know who they're going to sign in free agency. I just, I want to see it. Uh, and f- free agency is going to be interesting for the Knicks. They need to clear money uh, to really afford Kevin Durant's max. People have talked about that they're going to go after two stars. It's really not happening without uh, a sign and trade. If you and if you account for Noah's money, um, their pick this year, Kevin Knox, Kristaps Porzingis' hold, um, it, it comes out to like $105 million almost, and two maxes in there, excuse me, if one of them is going to be Durant. And so that leaves you $4 million under the cap. Even if you really trade everyone without taking money back, you're still falling short of dual maxes. So I don't, they could carve out two 30% maxes if they were uh, able to dump off all, all this salary, or they could even maybe afford two maxes, one of which would be Kevin Durant if they were willing to go up this year's first round pick. But I want to see this team sort of develop more. My actual key stat is the player that I'm most interested in moving forward for the Knicks, and it's not Mitchell Robinson, surprisingly, who is spectacular. Noah Vonley has been really good this season. He is yeah. their only top 100 player at this point. I know Tim Hardaway scoring, his shooting percentage on pull-up threes is fine, but Noah Vonley is the Knicks' only top 100 player at this point. They don't have his bird rights. He's making no money. But they they have bigs in Porzingis and, and Mitchell Robinson. What do you do with him? What can you get with him at the trade deadline? Can you pair him with some other salary? Is he enough to maybe get you off Courtney Lee's deal? Um, is there just a move you could make there? But here, in the spirit of that, is every player averaging more than 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 block, and 1 three-pointer for 36 minutes. Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Vooch, and Noah Vonley. Wow. That is the list. I'm just going to end it there. I gave the Knicks a, I'm giving the Knicks a C. I don't think we could expect any more from them. And there have been enough flashes of bright development spots. I would like to see longer stretches, though, from them, from some of their key guys. Uh, Kevin Knox, if he can play really well the rest of the year, that's, that's huge. If they can commit to Frank Nielakina and he establishes some semblance of an offensive floor game or an offensive identity anything that's big for them it's nice to get these wins with Trier and Dotson and even Vonley but I, I want to see something more from just one of their two or we what we think are one of their two building blocks for the future and when you look at this roster they might only view Kevin Knox as, and Chris Osborne's who's injured obviously but Knox might be the only active player and maybe Mitchell Robinson as, that they view as, as these long-term pieces yeah, I I think my I gave him a C as well, and I think that's just sort of my uh, code grade for this is exactly what we expected. Um, I I, you know, I just can't imagine anybody thinking they'd be much better than this. Um, if they can find someone to trade for Tim Hardaway and or Courtney Lee, I mean, if they can find someone to trade for both or two separate teams to trade for both and get out of it without long-term money, then I, I suddenly they would shoot up to an A for me. Uh, I mean, that should be like priority one, two, and three is clear in the books for this summer. Um, 
but they're they're doing a lot of things the way they should be. They they took shots on guys who had lottery pedigree and just didn't really work out. I mean, that's Emmanuel Moutier is, I mean, I think the jury's still a little bit out on him, but he has certainly looked a lot better than he did in Denver. Um, Noah Vonley has been worlds better than he's been in years past. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for developing guys like that. Uh, I'm with you. It's probably too early to give up on Frank Nilakina and he still has some physical tools that are very intriguing, uh, especially as a defender. Um, so there's, there's definitely reasons for optimism. Um, you've got sharpshooter Luke Cornett there, who I'm sure is your favorite player. <laughs> um, they, they do deserve a little bit of criticism. I don't think the way that they've handled the Ennis Canner stuff is great. Um, yeah, people getting mad at him to me are just ridiculous. Yeah. If he was really told that day, you're going to be in the starting lineup and then got a DNP, I can't imagine many players in the NBA who wouldn't have put up some kind of a stink over that. Um, so I, I don't think he deserves much criticism for his latest uh, rant. And <clears throat> the current administration isn't really responsible for sort of the bind that they are potentially in cap-wise. Uh, but it, it certainly would not be ideal if they entered the offseason with uh, almost $40 million committed to Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway, and Lance Thomas. Um, but, I, I mean, all things considered, uh, like I said, it's about what I expected for them. There's some good. There's some bad. If they if they, if they they walk into next season with Chris Tapps, Porzingis, Kevin Durant, and Zion Williamson, though, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the potential to be really, really fun squad all of a sudden, and, and this – tanking stretch that they've been on the last couple of years would be well worth it. I just don't, if I'm giving a rent, I don't know why I go to the Knicks. I just, I don't. Yeah. It's just, I, I think it's, it's purely, it seems like a legacy play, but then all at the same time, staying with the Warriors and winning another championship is every bit as much of a legacy play, if not more. Um, but the sort of mythical status of being the guy who, brings excitement back to Madison square garden, brings them a title for the first time in what, like 50 years. Um, if he did pull that off, I mean, that, that certainly does a lot for him legacy wise, but I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's a difficult sell at this point. Even the tanking thing is just, it's the, it's the right thing to do. And they're, you know what, first of all, they're not trying to lose games. They're, they're just bad. Yeah, uh, which is fine. I, I think that's the way a tank should go. Right. Uh, it's just important to remember that they're going to finish with probably the league's second or third worst record, which is just essentially going to amount to them having a 60% chance of not landing in the top three, Yeah, which in this draft is could be terrible. Yeah, those lottery odds, um, we hit on this a couple episodes back, but I, I think that change was maybe a little bit more dramatic than I initially thought it would be. Which should be good long term. Maybe it'll yeah. maybe make things at least more interesting that way. Moving on, though, to the Orlando Magic. It, All right, I've got them as well. Um, you've got basically every team we're doing today. Yeah, saved them all. Uh, the Magic are 23rd in offense, 16th in defense, 24th in net rating. They're 20 and 28. I gave them a B plus uh, at the quarter pole, as did you. I've got them down to a C. 
now. Uh, I don't think it's breaking news to anyone that the Orlando Magic have been worse <laughs> um, over the last couple months than they were in the, the starting part of the season. Uh, my key stat for them is Nikola Vucevic. Um, Who's that? Long, if, you, if you sort players uh, by the average of their rank in 10 catch-all metrics, he's been borderline top 10 all year. And I think the most recent one I did had him at 11. Um, does that do, does that mean I think he's the 11th best player in the NBA this season? No. Um, but his impact has just been huge. The fact that they're 20 and 28, that has a lot to do with Nikola Vucevic without him on the team. Um, they could be right there in this, you know, fight for the number one pick. Like, you know, we just talked about with the Knicks when he's on the floor, Orlando's plus 2.3 points per 100 possessions, which is 65th percentile. When he's off, they're minus 14.8 points per 100 possessions, which is in the fourth percentile. Um, that's a huge, huge swing, an almost 20-point swing. There are other guys to be kind of in on. Um, <laughs> Aaron Gordon's still only 23. Um, Jonathan Isaac's only 21. Bamba, Mohamed Bamba's 20. Um, there are interesting young pieces. There's no one really that I'm like thrilled about on this team in terms of young core. Uh, I know the conventional wisdom has been trade Vucevic, get really bad, um, work your way up the draft board, and move forward with, with that Bamba Isaac front court. And I still think there's a lot of sense to that. But my my question for you is is Vucevic young enough? He's he's in his age twenty eight season. Um, is he young enough to re-sign and and just sort of make him your guy no. for four five years? You, you're you're a hundred percent. We got to trade Vucevic. Yeah, it's I, what is his what is his next deal going to look like? I know the big man market is saturated. If you were going to get him at the same price point, then yes, it could make sense. You already have Aaron Gordon under lock and key. Um, you can see if Bamba breaks out and then move one of the other two, if that happens, but he's, he's going to be 29 next year and he's probably going to want, I would think a four year deal. Maybe the market won't let him get it. But if you're going to commit four-year money at even – what if he gets $15 million? And he's been fantastic this season. But now you're talking about a guy who's going to be in his early 30s by the time that deal expires. I just – it's iffy to me. And I'm, I think what I get caught up into, and this is a knock against my analysis here, is that I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, well, you're not – you're never going to be a contender with Vooch yeah. as your best player. Or if you're paying – you know, $40 million a year to Aaron Gordon and Vooch or, or $35 million a year, whatever it may be. So if the, if Orlando's just concerned with maybe putting together a solid playoff team, then that's something that they could look into. I would move him. I would move Terrence Ross. I gave them a very quick, I gave them a C plus just because their record is not good. Eight games under 500, but for them to sort of just be as shallow as they kind of are, as limited as they are in playmakers, for them to just sort of be hanging around the Eastern Conference playoff picture is impressive to me. Uh, they've been a net plus per 100 possessions when Gordon, Isaac, and Vooch share the floor, which is absolutely important. And I, I really think that we need to pour one out for DJ Augustine if 
you know, their point guard situation is not enviable, but he's been just this fantastic stopgap for them. Uh, yeah. He's shooting 43.5% from three, 4.8 assists, obviously nothing to write home about, but he's just this good game manager for them. And when, when him and Vooch share the floor, the Magic are not only a plus 5.5 points per 100 possessions, their offensive rating is 113.3. Mm. And that this is a team that I don't think, if you look at them, it's not like, oh, they have a ton of offensive talent. Yes, there's Terrence Ross. Yes, there's Vooch. And then would you have pointed to DJ Augustine immediately before this season? Maybe. He's been a good offensive player in the past, but they don't have a ton of offensive talent. And so for them to just have lineups that can be really good offensively over long stretches of time, it's just impressive to me. And so my grade for them will drop, though, uh, in the next edition if they don't make moves at the deadline. Here's my only other thing. Of the young guys that are on this team, and we'll say guys that are like 24 and under, so that gives us Gordon, Isaac, Bamba. Um, I guess you can throw a window in there. Um, is there anyone in their young core that you just know is going to be great? No. I'm surprised you're just still – and I'm surprised you haven't said that it would be Mo Bamba because you were really high on him leading That's into the draft. And I still, think, I still think he could be great. I just – I'm not super confident in it. Um, and then the other thing is, and I honestly don't know where I fall on this question. I'm just kind of throwing this out there. Um, I, I don't know how what, what's Orlando's path to a guy who averages 21 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, one block, one steal, one three, right. shoots off 40% from three. Um, and maybe maybe this is the one season where Vucevic is this player. And then, you know, if you, if you sign him to a four-year deal and he kind of falls off a cliff over the course of that contract, it looks like a terrible deal. But I, I do think there's at least a conversation to be had for them um, between whether or not they move on. Just because I don't, I, I'm just not completely sold on their young core. And it's, it's there. There's a lot of teams in the East that are just sort of treading water. Um, and this is one of them. And it's a, it's a tough place to be in, in the NBA. If they want to re-sign Vooch, then they should look at moving Bamba as part of a Mike Conley deal. That would be interesting. Just be, I don't think you can have those two. If On Vooch's next contract, I just don't think you should have those two on the roster together. And so and if they're going to re-sign Vooch, your window is now then. You're not, if you want him to be your guy, that's fine. But then your window is immediately now. And then you have to go out and just having Steve Clifford, who, by the way, is like, not talent proof their defense, but if you filter out garbage time, as I mean, as we did at the beginning of this, uh, Orlando's 16th in defensive efficiency, um, and he's just given them a set of principles to follow, uh, punning on trying to force turnovers to limit looks at the rim, um, stuff like that. So I, I think he's done a, a good job with, especially with the hand he's been dealt there. Lost my train of thought though. Yeah, if if you're going to keep Vooch, then all of a sudden your timeline is is now. And I guess if you really think that Aaron Gordon's going to continue to improve and you've already paid him and you don't envision trading him, then, then that's fine. If, if that's what you're going to do though, then you have to go in on a trade like that. I would think because you're not going to get that marquee name in, in free agency. So that, any, that would be something for them to look at. Has anyone mentioned Orlando as a possible Conley destination? No, I think because it, 
it that. seems so obvious that the timelines are divergent, but you're right. I mean, Vooch has been incredibly good. I like yeah. we, I can't even remember where we placed him in the top 100 at this point, but he was really close to like, he, he's an all-star lock to me yeah. among the reserves. And I don't even think that's a, that's a question. So you've got my, you've got my gears turning now. I mean, if, if they're as good as they are with Vucevic and Augustine on the floor, um, Vucevic and Conley, that's that's an interesting one, too, in the Eastern Conference. The, yeah, the, I mean, it would be in the East. I don't know what their package looks like. Uh, you could, if you're giving up Bamba, and then we're assuming that the Grizzlies are getting rid of Gasol, and so that's where they view the value in him. Are you giving up your first this year to do it? Are you giving up Isaac? With Bamba, they they have the filler to get there. Um, are the you know are the Grizzlies willing to take back Mozgov's deal just as the salary anchor comes off the books after next season, or are they would they prefer Evan Fournier? Maybe we don't know what the Grizzlies are actually trying to do in their blow up. It's I our- think they need to at least be willing to entertain the idea of taking bad money. The Grizzlies, what, what type? Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you because. I mean, first of all, the, the Gasol, Gasol could become a free agent next year, and even if he opts in, he's owed $25.6 million. It's not a great price point for someone entering his age 35 season. Oh, no, not. <laughs> yeah, and oh, by the way, just, I double-checked. We had Vooch as a top 25 player this year in BR's top 100. So there's, I, I totally understand everything to it. It's just the age makes it weird for me. Uh, however, with, with the Grizzlies, Mike Conley's deal just, I mean, two years and... It's like $64 million. I'll have to check that exact number now. That's a lot of money. And he's really good. He's having a fantastic season. But he's had Achilles in, uh, injuries in the past. He's mm-hmm. he's 31. That's not a deal that isn't saddled with risk. And so I'm, I'm with you. They would have to look at taking on bad money. To what degree, though, are they, you know, do they want a good player who's expensive? And, and come these numbers, actually two years and, and $65 million. So... It's but what what is the extent of that bad money though? Uh, because you need to you know to match salaries to go out. You know Orlando has plenty of room under the tax, which then makes them an interesting uh, Conley destination. But I totally forgot they even had Mozgov's contract to deal. I, I think that makes it um, that makes it really interesting. I think if you can get off the Mozgov contract, uh, a pick. Mo Bamba and and one more salary filler piece, um, like maybe Jonathan Simmons. That's that's an interesting deal to me. So and for I, the Grizzlies, you would consider. I mean, it would it would basically have to be. You're looking at Mozgov, Bamba, and you could give them Terrence Ross and a pick. You could give yeah. them Jonathan. The money works with Jonathan Simmons and a pick. What I've got right now is Mozgov, Simmons, Bamba, and a pick. For Conley, and essentially all you care about in that deal, if you're the Grizzlies, is Bamba and the pick. Um, I don't think it's great for Memphis because I think Jaron Jackson is better suited as a five, and you have some you have some similar fit questions there with Bamba as you have with Orlando. Um, but I also I don't think that's a terrible package. You could build that's- stuff around Jonathan Isaac too if you wanted to see Jackson and Isaac together. That's an interesting defensive yeah, duo. That might, that might be better. And then if you're if you're you know, trio in Orlando is Conley, Gordon, and Vucevic. That's an interesting Eastern Conference team to me. Would you be willing to give up Gordon as part of the, my Conley deal? 
Um, I'd be less willing. Um, I suppose it depends on how they view Jonathan Isaac. I, what would that deal be? Gordon? Gordon? That's, I mean, yeah, you, can want, you don't want to give up Gordon and Isaac in the same deal and – now all of a sudden you have this money coming. It would, I mean, Gordon would just be the like the anchor. I don't. If I'm Orlando, I'm not. I, Gordon, I give... Gordon and Simmons works. I'm. I, I'm not. Would you give up a pick if you're giving up Gordon for Conley? I, I, I don't know that I would. Yeah, I don't think I would either. And I don't. I don't think Memphis getting a first rounder for either Conley or Gasol is a surefire thing. They're not, um, I don't think they're going to get it a top tier prospect and pick. I just don't, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that the, we're always blown away by what trades actually end up being, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see if they do move them, what, what they, what they net for them in return. If you're yeah. the Grizzlies, would you rather have Fournier over Mozgov? Or are you more interested in just getting out of that money a year earlier? How many years is left on? Well, I guess he has two and 34 million left. Yeah. So Fournier's on the books for even longer than Mozgov. Um, he's a guy that I still think can help, though. He's he's had a weird season. Um, but if I'm if I'm moving into like a win now window, I I could talk myself into keeping him if I'm Orlando. Oh, for if you're Orlando, yes. I'm just wondering, would the Grizzlies prefer him oh, over Mozgov, or are they more concerned with? Do you think they'd uh, be more concerned with just getting the money off the books? Yeah, I if I was Memphis, I would be more. I would want yeah, the Mosby contract more because you're you're going to have to take on bad money. But you, I mean, the less time you spend under that bad money, the better. Yeah, I'm with you. That Orlando's an interesting. My colleagues, if they're going to keep Vooch, if that's the plan, you just you move yeah. off of Mobamba, give a pick, use Mozgov as a salary anchor, and then. You could include Simmons. Uh, would you include if if Memphis demanded? Bamba, like just the, the salary filler can work itself out. But if they demanded Bamba and Isaac, are you walking? Yeah, I don't think I would give up two young guys. I think the max I would be willing to go is a young guy and a pick. Yeah, that would be interesting. Didn't Bring expect me. to talk about Mike Conley while we were talking about the Magic. I know I, I didn't, but when as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um. <laughs> All right, 76ers, ninth in offense, 10th in defense, ninth in net rating, 32 and 17. I gave them a B plus at the quarter pole. You gave them a B. I gave them a B plus again. Um, I know earlier we said that it's kind of a clear cut one two between Milwaukee and Toronto, and I think that's true. I would not be surprised if I found myself in like a month or two thinking that Philly has a shot at the finals as well. Um, their talent at the top is really, really good. Um, I, I would stack up their top three against a lot of different teams in the NBA. My key stat for them um, is jo- it's very Joel Embiid-centric, and it's actually a couple. Um, first, I'll start with just his on-off stuff. When he's on the floor, Philly is in the 83rd percentile for defense. 82nd percentile for offense and 89th percentile for differential. When he's off the floor, Philly is in the 17th percentile for defense, 51st percentile for offense, and 30th percentile for differential. Um, He's, you know, I I think most people point to his counting numbers and they are ridiculous, 
but his overall impact on this team is just massive. Um, and then my other stat for him, it's not even this season. I just think it's interesting. And it's another thing that I'm not sure people talk about a ton. Um, most of our attention when it comes to free throw attempts goes to James Harden, which is again, understandable, but Shaquille O'Neal is the only player in NBA history uh, who averaged more free throw attempts per team possession than Joel Embiid. If you do it per 75 possessions, Shaq's at 10.4 and beads at 9.9. Um, he's, he's not terribly efficient when you look at just a field, effective field goal percentage, but he is really, really good at getting to the line. Um, he's a legit superstar. Where did you guys have him in your top 100 players? Was he top 10? 11th. Okay. So right there on the fringe, which I think is probably fair. I think I think that's probably where you probably he is. could. We had Irving at ten, George at nine, and Jokic at eight. I think there's a bunch of maneuvering that you could have done in that range. Yeah, I I, I think eleventh is probably totally fair. Um, but and I referenced his counting numbers earlier. When you just look at them, they're they're crazy. Twenty seven points, thirteen rebounds, almost four assists, two blocks. Um, he's just ridiculous. And I think can I interject uh, with something that. I found last night that I was a little bit shocked by since yeah. Christmas on 3.9, three point attempts um, per game. And it's about it's a little bit more than four per 36 minutes. He's shooting 39.2% from three since Christmas. Wow. Yeah. That surprises me. Um, Sorry, carry on. I just, I no, that was, if he's consistently a 39% shooter, I mean, that's, that's another level. I mean, if he's him. consistently a 34% shooter, that's another level. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the other thing I wanted to say before I moved on, I mean, we, we could probably spend time on Butler, Reddick, but I, I mean, I think everybody's talked about the Sixers quite a bit the last couple of years. I think Ben Simmons has become underrated. Um, hundred yeah, percent. I, I know it's problematic that he doesn't shoot jump shots, but the guy is averaging almost 17 points, 10 rebounds and eight assists. I mean, those numbers are just absurd. And he has been over the last two years. His his box plus minus has been comfortably better than Joel Embiid's um, for the last two seasons. His true shooting percentage is almost sixty. Uh, he's another guy who can create some gravity just by virtue of the fact that he has the ball. I mean, it would be preferable if he could at least hit a fifteen footer. Um, but the nitpicking on him is is gotten a little bit out of hand. Um, I don't know what I did. I say what I gave him. I gave him a B, a B plus again. Um, Maybe maybe that's a little bit nitpicky too, but I, I think they're in pretty good shape and the top of their roster is really, really strong. I gave them a B just because I'm still waiting for the Butler, Simmons, and Bead fit to wow me. I know it's awkward yeah. um, on paper and it might always be awkward. Things that I've been encouraged by though is that their bench was kind of, de- aside from Joel Embiid's three-point shooting, obviously, their bench was in the gutter at one point since December 1st. And now since December 1st, uh, they they are 10th in point differential per 100 possessions in the second unit. That's big for them because they don't have a lot of depth and it's still going to be important for them to make either a small move at the deadline. I still really would love to see Noah Vonley there. Though it's it, it's fair to question what would he look like in, in a reduced role where he's not really free to bring the ball up the court. Uh, Landry Shamit, oh my God, is shooting yeah. like a gazillion percent from three. Uh, over his last 20 games, I think it's he's shooting 44% from three over his last 20 games, which is just absolutely absurd. Uh, the thing that I found interesting stat-wise for the Sixers, and um, I agree with everything uh, you had said before, is that their 
point like their point like they're just not an elite defensive team when um when Simmons and Bead and uh Jimmy Butler are on the floor. They're allowing 109.3 points per 100 possessions right now, which is in the in the 57th percentile. And so when you the other thing that I found interesting when I was just looking a little bit deeper into this is that when you take Jimmy Butler off the court and this is obviously since the uh, I filtered out Robert Covington's minutes off the court too since if you take Jimmy Butler off the court there's a chance you get some early season noise since the Jimmy Butler trade when Simmons and Embiid play with just them no Butler the Sixers are a plus 20.4 points per 100 possessions 100 defensive rating 120.4 offensive rating that's uh. not an insubstantial sample size and I, I know it's just a mid-season thing or I'm not saying it's just a midseason thing, but it's going to be interesting moving forward to see whether this is an issue of newness with Butler there, or if it's actually something that they're going to have to concern themselves with long term. But I just found that for them to be so much better when just Simmons and Embiid are on the court without Butler is is wild to me. For that to hold this long, I mean, we're talking about the, the Butler trade was made on November 10th, right? So now we're almost mm-hmm. three months into it. But they're scary. I'm totally yeah. in agreement with you there. Have you heard uh, any of the people that are throwing out the Sixers as a possible Conley destination? Zach Lowe did it on his podcast this week. Um, and here, here's my thought on that. I, they can't pay all four guys going forward. If you traded for Mike Conley, would you rather have him going forward or Jimmy Butler if you had to choose between the two? Now, it's by saying, Jimmy Butler is is better individually. His ceiling is higher in terms of impact. But do you want to pay him for the next four or five years? Do you want to pay him one? And I think there's a very real upgrade from Butler to Conley in terms of chemistry um, and fit probably too. Yeah. <sighs> That's a good question. I'm there, the Sixers' wing depth is such that I probably might still say Butler. Yeah, and I, I don't. That's that's a really interesting question. Well, who are they giving up in that deal, though? They have no so, salary. They have, there's Fultz yeah. and Chandler, but and then that brings up another issue, though. If you are looking at Philly as a Conley destination, if you're going to trade, you're going to have to trade Chandler just to to make up that like, to make the money work. Now you're giving up a wing and not getting one back, probably. That's true. Um, he, I, I feel like he set a package on the podcast. It's the episode that he did with Jackie McMullen. Yeah, I um, listened to it. Now that I'm playing with the trade machine, it's it's hard <laughs> to find. I mean, it would have to be – you could do Fultz, Chandler, and Muscala and then throw picks in. Does that work? Yeah. But it's, it's just that, like – in what he said, yeah. Um, but it's just like at that point, so now you've played your best hands and you've burned through cap space for this summer, which is if you, if you don't think you're going to get a player better than Mike Conley, which is, that's fair. You might not, you look at all these marquee names. Most of them are going back to uh, the teams they play for. I, I would, I would support that. But, but as you said, you have to talk about Ben Simmons is extension eligible. This yeah. summer, Butler's up for a new contract. You're already playing, paying Embiid. Maybe it helps that Conley's only on the books for two years, so there's only a one-year window where you have to pay all four of the max money, but that's still... Let's say it's even just you only have them for the rest of this season. 
just listen to this starting lineup. Mike Conley, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. That's scary. Um, yeah, that's... I just that's, How do you build out from there? If you don't have to give up Shamit, you have him. How What picks? You have to give up your own pick in this deal. You probably have to give up that Heat pick. You'd, I mean, yeah. Um, I don't know if you'd have to give up multiple picks if you're giving up Fultz and a pick. What is Fultz's trade value right now? I mean, yeah. Um, that's a good point, too. It, man, it's to me, it's an interesting proposition. You, you have Zaire Smith, but he's injured, too. It's my, my. I guess my point is you would have to play all your best trade chips, and then you're not going to have cap space leading into this summer. There are some things you could do. I just I'd be interested to see how they flesh out the supporting cast. Their their top seven would be fantastic. You name their starting lineup, and then you're still going to have TJ McConnell, or maybe they don't keep him if you have Conley, but I think you do. And then you have Shamit. Um, who knows what Zaire Smith turns into if you keep him as part of this deal? Jonah Bolden's been interesting lately too. Yeah, he's played a lot better. Um, yeah, it's it's an it's it's not a. It's not a very safe move, that's for sure. I nope. mean, it's it's a gamble, but um, that's another off the rails Mike Conley conversation for a team. Let's, yeah. try, let's try and not do that with the Toronto Raptors. All right, the Raptors. Uh, I think this one's you, actually. Yeah, um, the Raptors are sixth in offensive efficiency, eighth in defensive efficiency, fifth in net rating, thirty six and fourteen overall. We both gave them A pluses last time because I was giving out A pluses like candy. Um, uh, I gave them an A. They haven't. It, they haven't really played worse. I want to see them at full strength. The mm-hmm. the bench uh, just looks a little bit weaker this year. There's and again, there's a chance that it could get better because they've they've dealt with so many absences. Um, Kawhi Leonard is has been load management resting lately, which is just so weird. Um, <laughs> Kyle Lowry has been in a shooting slump, though. We still in our top 100 player rankings uh, listed him as a top 20 player because he does so much for the team. Uh, I don't get the sense that they're a poor shooting team necessarily when I watch them, but it is to me important to note that they're 25th in three point percentage since December 1st. Finding a shooter might be something that they need to do on the buyout market or closer to the trade deadline, or really just hope that a healthy CJ miles can find his shot for them. The minutes that, uh, Leonard has spent without uh, Kyle Lowry on the court have not been great playing sitting both stars at the same time is basically a non-option when you look at their bench availability and then play uh, that being said this team is still my pick to come out of the east Serge Ibaka has been fantastic this season while playing more center um, Kawhi Leonard is all the way back offensively uh, mm-hmm. some of his points still seem like they come out of the flow of the offense uh, you know when I'm watching the Raptors and they just they just load up one, the weak side of the floor so that he can attack from the strong side. Like, there's no one even in the paint. It's so egregious. It's It almost just seems like they're saying, like, we just really want you to be happy here and score your points. But also that, oh, we know you're new, and this kind of simplifies things. Uh, Lowry seems like he's adjusting well to taking fewer shots overall. But again, his shooting percentages could be a long-term issue. And is he going to be able to find his own attack mode when Leonard is on the floor? My key stat for them, though, is just that uh, one of the things that we we got received pushback for uh, on the NBA 100 things was how high we had Pascal Siakam. And I'm sure there were some people who wanted him higher, but we ended up putting him at number 36. And I, I wanted to there was a, I wanted to put him 
even higher. There was cases, there was arguments had um, about that. When when Siakam plays without both Kawhi Leonard and um, Kyle Lowry on the floor, the Nuggets are plus 2.6 points per 100 possessions. And mind you, that's that's huge. The, the that's defense great. has been great. The offense has been so-so. That's huge because the Raptors, when Leonard and Kawhi Leonard sit overall together, are minus 8.7 points per 100 possessions. And then... A lot of people think that Siakam's role is just predicated on having Lowry and Leonard around him. I'm not saying that's not true, but he is so much more than those two. Nearly 45% of his made baskets go unassisted. And this is the this is the actual key stat because it, it melted my mind, is that Siakam is shooting 60.5% on drives among the 115 players who have used at least finished 200 drives this season. That is third behind huh. only Giannis and TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell. Wow. Yeah. yeah TJ, TJ McConnell's done some stuff, which is uh, definitely, yeah. definitely accounted for why Philly's bench has been so much better of late. Him and Shamit, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. The future. Trey Joel, Trey Simmons, <laughs> Trey Butler. Here's my thing on the Raptors. Um, their starting lineup really carried them early and the bench looked a lot worse than it did last season. Their bench was uh, a huge part of their success last year. And it was, it just, it just wasn't quite the same to start the year. Now for the last couple months, it seems like either Leonard or Lowry or both it's their availability has been very spotty and the bench has been kind of slowly, but steadily improving and returning to the level that it was last season. Once they get to full strength, um, if they get to full strength, I should say, um, if they have the starting lineup clicking the way it was at the beginning of the season and the bench playing the way it has for the last couple weeks, this team is really, really scary. Um, They're that team that I think is going to hit its stride as they get to the postseason. It's kind of trending that way. Uh, I think OG Ananobi still has a little ways to go to get back to where he was. Norman Powell has looked better than he has in years past. Van Vliet and DeLon Wright have rebounded a little bit. Um, Valanchunas has been out. I mean, there's some rumblings about a possible Mark Gasol Valanchunas deal, um, which would be interesting. But if they if they enter the playoffs with this exact roster, um, they they have a chance to be. I mean, like we've said a few times now, it's. It's probably between Milwaukee and Toronto, and that that has the potential to be an awesome, awesome Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I don't have a lot to add, other than what you already did for the Raptors. I just I just can't wait to see them at full strength, both health wise and uh, just in terms of the way that that the bench is playing. Yeah, I mean, just the easiest easiest way to look at it is that they have, if you want to call, if Lowry's a top twenty player, let's just say he's top twenty five. You've had two top twenty players who have both missed substantial time and you're still second in the eastern conference i mean leonard has missed 14 out of their 50 games i mean that that's a pretty significant amount and larry's missed 11 yeah Uh, i mean 25 games between them and they haven't overlapped no it's been one or the other in a lot of these games so it's uh it's kind of scary to think about how much better this team can still be bring us home andy all right washington wizards 19th in offense, 23rd in defense, and 22nd in net rating. They are 20 and 27. We both gave them D pluses. 
at the quarter pool. I have upgraded them slightly to a C minus. Congratulations, Wizards. So have I. Uh, Spoilers. We're, again, again, same page. Here is my key stat or key stats for the Wizards. Um, over the last two seasons, the Wizards are 27 and 24 when Thomas Sadoransky starts. They're 36 and 43 when John Wall starts. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I found that interesting. Um, <laughs> this season alone, when John Wall is on the floor, Bradley Beal averages 22.1 points, 4.7 rebounds, and 4.1 assists uh, per 36 minutes, and he has a minus 5.1 net rating. When John Wall is off the floor, Beal averages 26 points, 5.2 rebounds, 5.7 assists uh, per 36 minutes, and has a plus 2.9 net rating. Now, I, I, I think those two numbers are related. I didn't share the first one to say that I think Thomas Sadoransky is better than John Wall, although I do think Thomas Sadoransky is pretty underrated. Um, what I think playing Sadoransky at the point does for the Wizards is it sort of allows Bradley Beal um, – not sort of. It definitely allows Bradley Beal to be more of an unquestioned alpha type player. Uh, and him in that role, I think, is better than John Wall in that role. So I, I think there's an argument to be made that the Wizards, just in terms of fit, might be slightly better without John Wall. Is that crazy? No. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. All right. <laughs> John Wall's a terrific player. Uh, but I, I could see why just the, the fit is warty. I, I would totally understand that. Good. Well, <laughs> that's that's my key stat for them. I, I were you expecting I, more pushback? You seem you seem very yeah, like. I kind of was. Um, there, uh, we we can get into trades with this team too. This is obviously another team that might be on the market, and you know, Otto Porter's been available at times. It seems like this season, but right now they're they're playing fairly well, and even without John Wall, they might just kind of talent their way into the playoffs uh, they've won seven of their last 11 games it's, it's it's certainly possible i think they should still i think they should blow it up yeah but yeah. i don't i wouldn't trade beal and that's not what i'm saying about this and i know no one's taking well but just get off porter's money at this point like he's a good player but you don't have the depth or the just the, the window at this point to justify paying your who hasn't even probably been your third best player this season you don't have the you don't have you can't justify paying him that much. My, my stat for them was even though I wasn't in charge of key stats this year when Sadoransky, Porter, and Beal play without Wall, the Wizards are a plus eleven point one points per hundred possessions, one eighteen point two offensive rating, and the sample size is not insubstantial. Uh, Three hundred and fourteen possessions. We should probably also pour one out for the resurgence, or is it the is it the emergence finally after all these years of Jeff Green? how many times has jeff green emerged yeah that's that's why it's just it's just hysterical to me but they've had minutes good minutes when he's played center this year thomas bryant they're getting good minutes from him i know a lot of teams have pegged them or a lot of people have pegged them as a team that might go after a center at the deadline or be willing to accept one in a how about the fact that dwight howard is on this team that's and that he doesn't play yeah it's it's spectacular but yeah, it's uh, there. They could still make the playoffs. I think they could trade Otto Porter and lighten up their books this this summer, or maybe even they could duck the tax. They could duck the tax and Otto Porter trade. I think the Kings are right there, ready and willing to just use a bunch of their uh, cap flexibility to to get him along with expiring contracts. I think you could make that deal and then still potentially 
get into the playoffs in the East, and that should probably just be the goal at this season, and then you go from there. Trade Porter to the Jazz, trade Wall to the Suns. You know I have that three-team deal that got the Wizards off of both Porter and Rahimi. Yeah. I I say call Grunfeld or whoever you need to call and make that happen, please. The fact that you still have to call Grunfeld in Washington is uh, a... That's a different story. Anyway, I, I, as I said, I gave them a C minus. You gave them a C minus. Upgraded from D pluses. Yeah. Do they make the, all right, two quick questions. I don't even want an explanation. Just yes or no. One, do the Wizards trade Otto Porter? And two, do they make the playoffs? I'm going to say no and yes. Okay. Because I don't think that front office is super smart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and they're going to continue to just sort of press on with what they already have and i i i think they're playing well enough and you cited how good they are with uh bill sadaransky and porter that they could leapfrog a couple teams they are two and a half games out of the east um the east is such a fucking mess (laughs) (laughs) it's not crazy to think that the pistons heat and hornets all finish ahead of them so that obviously keeps washington out of the playoffs um but I guess just for the sake of making a decision, I'll go ahead and say, yeah, they do make the playoffs. So much for you not giving an explanation. <laughs> um, it only took us about three hours to get through the Eastern Conference. Uh, thanks to those of you who uh, pressed through these grades with us. We sincerely appreciate all the uh, listens that we get and all the feedback that we get on Twitter, uh, all the reviews and the ratings. Um, that we've received on iTunes. That's that's awesome. Uh, we continue to to encourage you to do those things. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter, Dan's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Kyle Anderson and Ben Oudry. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.